want to begin with a poem, an excerpt of one. Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. She'd scour the pots and scrape the pans, candy the yams and spice the hams, and though her daddy would scream and shout, she simply would not take the garbage out. And so it piled up to the ceilings, coffee grounds, potato peelings, brown bananas, rotten peas, chunks of sour cottage cheese. And it filled the can and it covered the floor. It cracked the window. It blocked the door with bacon rinds and chicken bones, drippy ends of ice cream cones, prune pits, peach pits, orange peel, gloppy glumps of cold oatmeal. The garbage rolled on down the hall. It raised the roof. It broke the wall. Moldy melons, dried up mustard, eggshells mixed with lemon custard, cold french fries and rancid meat, yellow lumps of cream of wheat. At last, the garbage reached so high that it finally touched the sky. And all the neighbors moved away and none of her friends would come to play. And finally, Sarah Cynthia Stout said, okay, I'll take the garbage out. But then... Of course, it was too late. The garbage reached across the state from New York to the Golden Gate. And there in the garbage she did hate, poor Sarah met an awful fate that I cannot now relate because the hour is much too late. But children, remember Sarah Stout and always take the garbage out. All right, it's silly, I know. But I made the point last week that humans pollute our environment. And whether that's making mountains of trash or oil spills in the ocean, we pollute the environment. But I also made the point that humans pollute the spiritual environment. You guys know what that's like. You have been part of toxic work environments. It looks like a nice building. It sounds like a nice job, but don't go in there. These people, you don't want to be part of them. Some of you have been in families like that. And here the thing is, is that what is polluted needs to be made clean. The Bible tells a story that everything that we see, everything that is, is the handiwork of a good creator God who spoke the world into existence. And he cares about this artistic masterpiece called creation. He actually gets mad when people mess it up. When we hurt those that he cares and loves. And this world, the Bible says, has been put underneath the stewardship of human beings. That God chose us as his image bearers to rule over this world. And take a look outside and see how we're doing. So we have a problem. What is to be done? And how is God going to deal with the pollution, the corruption, the Bible uses the word sin, that we have brought into God's world How is he going to take care of that without taking care of us? Because we're the problem, at least part of it. And in the Bible, there's two ways to deal with human corruption, sin, pollution. There is judgment. That's when God wipes the slate clean. You know, purging in a, a catastrophic flood from New York to the Golden Gate, so to speak. And the other way is through atonement. 
It's, it's a biblical word that we don't use in modern English, but it has this idea of purification. We're going to make what is, clean, what is dirty clean. We're going to purify it. It also can carry the uh, connotations of a ransom. We're going to buy someone back, someone who is going to die. We're going to pay to rescue them. So that's the word atonement. And where we arrived in the book of Leviticus, we are uh, in the midst of a story that this creator God picked one human partner, a guy named Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And he says, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. God is in the midst of his redemptive project for his global creation, but he's doing it through a special family of ex-slaves that he rescued from slavery in Egypt, brought out into the wilderness. And at this point in the story, God is in covenant. He's in a special relationship with these people. And there's just one problem. As history has shown, both past and present, human beings make lousy partners in relationships. These people are stiff-necked, screwed up, and messed up, just like us. And so, then begins the process. Every time humans screw up, God responds with, here's some more rules, here's some more regulations, here's some things to do. And God creates a mediatorial, sorry, that's the word that pops to mind, I don't know why, but we need something between us and God. Because God is the source of all light, he is the source of life, and he is a bit intense, kind of like the sun. And if you come into his presence without preparing yourself, you will just die. You will get burned away. Or like high voltage electricity or heavy machinery, like use at your own risk. It's something good, but it's something dangerous. And so through sacrifice and through priesthood, God has made a way for his people to be blessed by his presence among them. So in Exodus, we read, God says, this is how they know, uh, they will know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. God's intent was that he would live with these people and they would experience his blessing and then through them to bless the rest of the world. Unfortunately, like I said, they're stiff-necked. So this tent, here's a, a loose picture of what it might have looked like, is a place where God chose, I'm going to live in the midst of the camp of Israel. But on inauguration day of this fancy tent we call the tabernacle, 40% of the priesthood dies. These two guys, there's only five of them, so Nadab and Abihu. Because they go rogue and they say, God, we want to approach you on our terms to make ourselves look good. And they, they die for it. And God says, I am special. I, I am who I am. If you would approach me, you come in my way, in my standards, uh, or you're going to pay the consequences. See, God, God cares about his creation. He loves humans. He wants to bless them. But he will not be treated lightly. And so we are given kind of the structure for this book of Leviticus. God tells these guys who just died, he tells their dad, Aaron, he says, all right, one, no more drinking on the job for whatever reason. And he says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And so the book of Leviticus breaks out into what is holy and common. That's chapter 17 through 27. And what is clean and unclean, that's chapters 11 through 16. And so we come to the Day of Atonement. Sorry, those slides weren't quite making sense, so I skipped them. And here we have the center of, really, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Like, this is a key ritual. It's called the Day of Atonement. And it is rules embedded in the story. So remember the story. 
And remember that everything that we see here that the people of Israel were doing is supposed to represent something in heaven, something that is going on. So we're going to read these and then try to figure out what does this mean and what should we learn from it. So the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached Yahweh. When you see capital L-O-R-D, it's, it's the personal name of God, the I am who I am. So Yahweh said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. All right, God's good presence is dangerous. And so Aaron, the high priest, you, you can no longer come anytime you want. After your sons died, we've got some more rules we need to put in place. So this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Again, this is like, okay, these are rules and these don't make a lot of sense. But wait, hold on a second. If you've been reading with us, you realize Aaron already has special sacred garments. They're really fancy. They have gold and gemstones all over them. He looks like, like a new human, like a brand new humanity in God's space. But on this day, Aaron doesn't wear any of that. In this day, he dresses like the other priests. Linen is just, it's white. He just dresses in a simple white holy garment. Gold aside. And he takes a bull for himself, and from the Israelite community, he's to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Again, notice something strange is going on. We have two goats as one offering, almost like, like the two of them together represent something. And this is different from what is normal, what a normal sin offering would be. Again, we've gone through the regulations. They weren't our favorite part of Scripture, but we learned. We learned. Now, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself. Again, to purify himself or to, to ransom himself and his household. And then he's to take the two goats and present them before Yahweh at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and he's to cast lots. Um, an ancient way of like flipping a coin, all right? Chance. He's going to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Yahweh and the other for a scapegoat. You ever heard the term scapegoat? It got its origin from the Bible, uh, English translation about 600 years ago. However, some of you are reading and your Bible will read something different. It'll actually say Azazel. It's this ancient Hebrew word. It's about 3,500 to 4,000 years old and translators are still a little bit mixed as to what exactly does this mean? So it could mean the goat that departs or for removal, or for a rough, difficult place, or it can mean for a goat demon. Hebrew is obscure. See also verses 10 and 26. So if you're reading one version, you read scapegoat, you go to another Bible and you read Azazel, and you're like, what is going on here? It means that something strange is going on in ancient language, and we're trying to make sense of it. So here's the thing, is that Azazel is, seems to be both a place and, and a person. A goat go, is for Azazel and a goat goes to Azazel. 
So the NIV goes scapegoat. Other people go, you know, goat demon. See chapter 17. And the Net Bible says the most common view among scholars today is that it is the proper name of a particular demon, perhaps even the devil himself, associated with the wilderness desert regions. Now, before everyone freaks out, he says, look, even if it is a demon, um, as a source of the name, there's no idea of appeasing said demon. The goat removes the impurity and iniquity from the community of, of Yahweh in order to avoid offending the Lord and the repercussions of such, you know, see these other people. So here's this idea. We have two goats, and the one that's going to be loaded up with all the sin, iniquity, and uh, transgression of the Israelites. Essentially, a spiritual garbage truck is going to carry that load of stuff out there to the wilderness, and you're going to go dump it in that guy's backyard. That's kind of the idea that's going on here. So, regardless, there's two goats. One's going to go near, one for the Lord, and one for the wilderness, the scapegoat for the goat demon, whoever that is. So Aaron flips a coin, one for Yahweh, one for the other. And Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to Yahweh and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat, chosen by lot as a scapegoat, shall be presented alive before Yahweh to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So two goats, you flip a coin, one goes away, one comes near. Now Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. The, the price, to, you know, mo seven times in this chapter, it'll say for himself. Like more attention is given that you have the right kind of priest. And then, you know, just these goats take care of the rest of the nation of Israel. And he's to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He's going to take a censer, the small dish of burning coals from the altar before Yahweh and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. I don't know if this tunic has pockets or how he's going to manage a double handful of incense and a fiery burner, but he figures it out. And he goes behind this curtain that is woven with pictures of angelic guardians called cherubim. And he's to put the incense on the fire before Yahweh and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. So one time a year, Aaron comes directly into the presence of God because God is appearing above this atonement lid. But Aaron is going to die if he doesn't do it right. So we're going to put incense so that there's this cloud obscuring direct contact between the holy God and this man. And he's going to take some of the bull's blood. And with his finger, he's going to sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. And then he's going to sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover, so on the east side. And then he shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people. And he's going to take the blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. And he shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. This is riveting stuff. I, I can tell you guys are deeply with me. Life swallows death. And the life represented by the blood overcomes the stains of sin and death that the Israelites live in. So if God set up his tent in the midst of the Israelites, it's like the sins 
of the people of Israel like a bad smell slowly just permeate God's tabernacle. And once a year, we have to find a way to cleanse it. So you begin at the innermost sanctum, the Holy of Holies, and you cleanse that and make atonement for that. And then you move to the whole tabernacle, and then you move to the altar and the tent of meeting, and then to the congregation. There's, there's geography here. We start at the center, and the cleansing flood spreads outward. Now, no one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before Yahweh and make atonement for it. So, so again, you know, atonement for people, we think, oh, ransom from death, but a tent needs to have atonement made for it. It needs to be purified. And he's going to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood, and he's going to put it on the horns of the altar and sprinkle some of the blood on it with a finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. And when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, then he shall bring forward the live goat. So symbolically now, we have a clean high priest whose, whose sins have been atoned for. We have a clean tent, a holy place. The sins of the people of Israel are being atoned for right now. And he's going to lay both his hands on the heads of the live goat. You know, symbolically saying this goat now represents all Israel. And he's going to confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sin, and he's going to put them on the goat's head. So every way that we fail to live up to be the kind of people that we're supposed to be, and everything that's just crooked and twisted about us, and every way that we've broken faith and broken the trust of those who were depending on us, and we're loading this goat up with it all. All right, everything on this goat. And then he's going to send that goat away into the wilderness. In the care of someone appointed for the task, that goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Again, it's like a spiritual dump truck. Go send it out to that person, to that thing, out there, to the place of death in the wilderness. And this goat carries away all the sins of Israel. Well, then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments that he put on before he entered the most holy place. And he's going to leave them there. And then he's going to bathe himself with water in the sanctuary. And he's going to put on his regular garments. All right, here comes the gold. Here comes the jewels. Here comes the crown that says, holy to Yahweh on his forehead. And he's going to come out. And there he's going to sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. And then he shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. So, this whole chapter is like one long sin offering ritual that has been like interrupted and a whole bunch of not normal stuff has happened one day a year. And the man who releases the goat as a scapegoat to Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water and afterwards he may come into the camp because even ritually associating with this goat loaded with all that stuff makes you kind of unclean. So take a bath. And the, boat, the bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood were brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides are flesh, their intestines are to be burned up. And the man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, they may come into the camp. And this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, so six months to the day after you select your Passover lamb, you must deny yourselves. So the whole community fasts for a day. 
Not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. And then before Yahweh, you will be clean from all your sins. God has made a way for humans to be clean of all our sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest. You must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. And the priest who's anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He's to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, the center, and for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and for the priests who camp right outside the gate, and for the members of all the community. And this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as Yahweh commanded Moses. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Riveting stuff, I know. But I've used the illustration that if I was going to wrap my invisibility cloak around my shoulders and put the one ring on and then grab Mjolnir, like you would understand that I'm using ritual language but the symbols represent a story that you know. So it is here. So again, we've said human sin pollutes the environment. Even though the Israelites every day are offering sacrifices to atone for their sins, yet the creep of pollution just comes in. And so once a year, God's house gets a deep clean through this ceremony. And in order for humanity to be blessed by the presence of God, sin must be atoned for because... God is good and he's holy and he hates sin. He hates that which corrupts his house. Like, like you know, if your neighbor got into the sewage business, it would bother you. Like, we're not going to have that around here. I used the illustration last week of my brother who worked in fiberglass and he was living with my grandparents. And my grandmother is a wonderful host, but my brother doesn't get to come home from work and go lay on the couch. No, he comes in through the garage, he goes into the bathroom, he showers, he changes, and then my grandmother has dinner waiting for him. Then he can lay on the couch and watch TV. You have to clean this sin, this stuff has to be dealt with somehow, some way. And what we read in the book of Leviticus, how God used to work in ancient Israel, the blood of animals provided temporary atonement for sin. Or or I should say, uh, it was like a Band-Aid. It it took care of the surface issues without addressing the underlying deep issue. Because the deep issue is that the human heart is bent on evil. The deep issue is that we are stiff-necked, stubborn people who rarely do as we should. And that's human nature. And it has been human nature for a long, long, long time. And so God made a way for the Israelites to periodically just wipe the slate clean. But this mess keeps coming. And so every year we have to do this ritual over and over again. The day of atonement is a day of both judgment and cleansing. The stain of death has to be cleansed away. Iniquity, transgression, and sin must be removed from God's people. But here's the thing. God has graciously provided a way to atone for sin and to come into his presence. And it feels like God is just like this rule maker. If you just read Leviticus out of context, we fail to realize like this is a way of grace. This is a way of approach. God doesn't have to live with them. In fact, he told Moses, like, yeah, maybe it would be better if I just stayed here. You guys go on ahead. And Moses says, no, God, if you're not with us, there's nothing special about us. We'd rather stay here in the desert and live with you than to go have that good land and have you not be with us. It's you or nothing. And so God has made a way for this relationship to coexist. But here's a hint of what is needed. 
See, the Day of Atonement, this earthly picture of a heaven reality, actually foreshadows a greater need, a need for the entire cosmos, all of creation, to be cleansed of sin. And so you see it. You see it. The Day of Atonement actually anticipates the final day of atonement of creation where all humanity is either going to be drawn into the presence of God or exiled from him forever. So you have this, this human figure who actually goes past the guardian gate of angels. You know, if you think about the story of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are exiled out of the garden and there's angelic guardians keeping them from coming back. Well, all of a sudden on this day, you have a picture of a man crossing that threshold to make atonement for sin and the cleansing flood sweeping out until all of sin is removed far away from God's presence. And just as these two goats represent a single sacrifice, it seems like these goats represent humanity and all of us are either destined to come close to God into his presence or to be sent far away and exiled from him forever. And the choice is ours. And so the Day of Atonement highlights the fact that we need someone to atone for sin so we can enjoy God's presence. Now, here's a cool thought for you Bible nerds there. What we actually need is a son of man coming on the clouds of incense, I mean the clouds of heaven, into God's presence to atone for sin and make a way for us to enjoy God's good presence. If you don't know what I mean by that, come talk to me afterwards. See, God has provided a way to atone for sin, to cover it over, to deal with it, and for us to enjoy his life-giving presence because God is the source of life. And if you want to know what life apart from God looks like, just go outside and see a world full of people destined to die one day. See the corruption. Go out into your garden and pull weeds. This is what earth looks like apart from the life-giving presence of God. This is not what life was meant to be like. God has made a way for this to be redeemed and rescued would we take it? This is, this is how I want us to respond. It's just take the way. See, here's how. We repent of sin. We trust in Jesus. <laughs> Thank God. Now, repent. I can't get away from that word. It's, I'm so used to saying it, but here, it just means turn around. It means we're going this way and like, oh, Google Maps said I took the wrong turn. I'm, I'm going to go around. I'm going to go a different direction. All right, we all live according to what we think will make us happy, what we think is right in our own eyes. This is the way to life. This is the way to satisfaction. You know, take it or leave it. And the Bible says, actually, what we need to do is to quit doing that and to live in line with the way that God has chosen for us to live, the way that God says is best. And so the Bible uses three different words for sin. Sin, it just means to miss the mark, means to be off, to be in error. We have failed to live up to a standard. We we missed the target. He uses the word iniquity. It means we are crooked. We are bent. We are meant to be straight. And we just got, you know, wrinkled in the wrong place. Or transgression. It's a way of breaking trust with the people who depended on us. It's like we were in agreement and I wronged my neighbor and now they can't trust me. And all of these things need to be taken care of because all of these pollute All right, we pollute ourselves, we pollute the world, and if we're a Christian and we sin, we're polluting the church. We pollute ourselves. It's it's easy to see whether this is an addiction. You know, I put a chemical into my body that I know is bad for me, but right now it feels good, and yet it, it wrongs me. Or maybe, maybe we pollute ourselves because I have 
chosen to look at things on a screen that I should not be doing. And now, now every person that I come in contact with is turned into an object. Or I have lied so compulsively, so compulsively for so long that now I can't tell what is right from wrong. We pollute ourselves. And we pollute the world. Again, whether that is uh, through littering, <laughs> like physically, through creating um, toxic environments for other people to live, or go, go, to the, go to Ukraine. Go to, you know, the refugee camps in Sudan. And look at what human greed, what human sin can do to the world. We pollute the world, and it needs to be cleaned. It needs to be dealt with. We also pollute the church. The Apostle Paul, he tells the Corinthians, he says, look, don't you know a little leaven? Leaven's a whole lump. Like, if we let this corruption in here, everyone's going to get affected. And so he says that if someone calls themselves a follower of Jesus and they live a, a life of blatant sin, kick them out. It's the most loving thing that you can do to them because they will destroy this community. All right? Like, we might love animals, but we don't want cockroaches in our house. You know, the mice, they need to go. So we repent of our sin. We need to be clean. But here's the good news, and it is, it is good news. One, we no longer have to kill any goats, all right? Goats, goats are fine. Sheep are fine. Now, because of what Jesus has done, and we're going to get to Jesus in a second, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he's going to forgive us, and he's going to purify us from all unrighteousness. We just have to own it. All right, second point, trust in Jesus. What the Day of Atonement makes clear is that God determines how he will be accessed. At one point in the past, his present was exclusive and it was limited. One person once a year for a limited time could come into God's holy presence. The way is still exclusive, all right? It is through Jesus. But now it's open to anyone at any time who would come in the way that God has set. Because Jesus actually fulfills what the Day of Atonement was pointing at. The worship team, I believe, are going to be reading a number of passages from the book of Hebrews. And the author of the book of Hebrews, bless him, just goes into all of this, how Jesus fulfills the day of atonement. Jesus is a perfect high priest. He doesn't need sevenfold to make offerings for his own sin. He's already perfect. Jesus, like the one male goat, gives his life to atone for our sin. And Jesus, like the other goat, bears our sin on his body and is killed outside of the camp. He just does it all, and he does it perfectly. And so we can be forgiven, and we can be healed, and we can be drawn near to God. See, John uh, the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. God's wrath remains on him, meaning they're going to die. They're going to choose to live apart from the glory and goodness and life of God. So we have a choice. Just as on the day of Toma, all of us can choose which way we want to go. Now, I thought of this week, this week, and I do not know if Jesus had Leviticus 16 on his mind. But it occurred to me that this one sin offering is represented by two different goats. One goat dies dies in order that its life symbolically can be carried into God's presence. So though it dies, yet it lives now with God. The other goat lives 
and carries all the sin, wickedness, and transgression out into the wilderness to the place of death. So it lives, but it will die. Or as Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life and live now is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. I don't know if that's what he had in mind, but I see, I see echoes and patterns here. God has graciously provided a way for sin to be atoned for, for us to come into his presence. Jesus is the way. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God that I no longer have to feel indebted to a mountainous debt that I can never pay of all the ways that I have wronged people and I'm unable to set it right. Thank God. Thank God that I don't have to own the way that this world is entirely ruined. I can work for its restoration and trust that one day God is powerful enough that he's going to rescue and save it all. Thank God. Thank God that I don't have to live underneath the identity of being someone who has failed so often, so consistently that I have to wear labels like worthless and unwanted and unloved and uncared for. Because of, of God, I'm part of this family. Thank God. Thank God that because Jesus has forgiven me, I can forgive other people. Because I have been graced so much, I don't need to feel that, I don't, I don't have to call people to account. I don't have to take vengeance on myself. I don't have to worry that if things don't go quite well in this life, according to my master plan, it's all right because God has eternal life with him. And one day this is all going to be settled. So I can, I can let things go. Thank God. God has provided a way for sin to be purified, to be cleansed, for me to be cleansed, for you to be cleansed, for us to come and enjoy his life-giving, blessed presence forever, safely. Would we take it? Would we take it? Let's pray. Father, you are good. God, and some days I don't even recognize just how good you are. And so we use uh, we, we use metaphors, God, like you are like the sun <laughs> that, that warms our skin and cheers our hearts, that, that causes food and life and energy to grow upon the world and yet will burn us if we're not careful. God, you are like uh, the most useful tool that, that does everything it's needed to. And yet if we swing it wrong, it'll crush things. God, you are like uh, the, the best loving relationship we could possibly have. And yet, how jealously um, that, that love would guard us. God, you are more complex than we know what to do with. You are more powerful um, than we can imagine. And yet you love us. And yet you've made a way for us to come and be in right relationship with you through your son. And Father, we stumble over our words. And Spirit, I thank you that you will um, make appropriate and, and bless what I, what I, I mess up. But Father, we, we want to come to you. We believe that you are the source of life and that apart from you, we don't have anything that's actually good. That everything that humanity is working for is gonna just end when we die or the, or the world crumbles. We see people laboring and toiling and giving all of their energy to things that will not ultimately satisfy them. That they know is, is bad or, and wrong for themselves or for others and they don't, they don't care or they can't escape. God, thank you for making a way out. Thank you for making a way for us to have our sin dealt with. And so make us new and make us clean, oh God. Change us as a community 
that, that no impure thing would, would enter in, that no disagreeable word or bitterness would, would destroy this community, but that we could live together with you as your people and that others might come to know the healing, life-giving presence of your Holy Spirit through your Son, Jesus, who is King of all and is coming one day to set all things right. God, thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.